Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary Meet Little Woman fans. Today's comment shoutout goes to Little Woman fan Angela Gordon. Friedrich could have so easily went down to the level that Joe was at just to please her if he had complimented her writing. He wouldn't have lost her at first, but he knew she could do better. He expected more of her. He caught her to higher intellectual and moral plane where he knew she would be happier and more content. Laurie never could have done that for Joe. He never would have been able to encourage her to grow as Friedrich did. Joe and Friedrich argument in the adaptations has bothered me for ages because it doesn't happen in the novel and a lot of Joe and Laurie shippers actually use that as an excuse to hate Friedrich. And just like Angela says, it is actually Laurie who does not have the mental capacity or any kind of interest towards Joe's writing. It's the last episode of season 2. I am working on season 3. I don't have the release date yet, but it will begin sometimes in the end of this year. I will announce the date here in the podcast and all over social media. Since I started to look for Friedrich Bear analysis from university databases, I've been getting tons of emails with studies about Henry Thoreau and Goethe. So I guess I will never run out of reading when it comes to 19th century German and American philosophy. Podcast is going to a break. But I am doing some fanfiction readings on YouTube. Come and find the Little Woman channel on YouTube. I usually post videos on Thursdays. Louisa May Alcott was in her early 30s when she wrote Little Woman. A lot of people don't know this, but Joe's experience writing sensationalism is based on Louisa's experience writing sensationalism. A couple of my listeners have asked me if I could speak more about the way Louisa's Christian worldview affected to the way she saw her sensational stories. That is one of the topics that we are going to touch today. And also all these literal heroes that Louisa had, like Goethe and Waldo Emerson, how they inspired Louisa to create Friedrich's character, and the way adaptations between 1917 and 2019 do not include Joe's inner conflicts about writing sensationalism. This is Small Umbrella in the Rain, Little Woman podcast. Joe and Friedrich don't argue in the book, so why on earth they argue in the movies? In Little Woman, Joe's conflicts about quality versus money really begins in the chapter Literally Lessons, and this chapter takes place a couple of years before Cho travels to New York, and she is in her early 20s. I've heard people saying that Cho didn't really care what she was writing about, or that she didn't care about the feedback. And you can get that impression from adaptations like 2019 Little Woman, where Cho got mad when she was receiving feedback, which once again shows how this movie didn't really have any respect for Cho or the author. I would highly recommend everyone to read Literary Lessons because it shows very well how Cho wants to improve as a writer and also how she actively seeks feedback from family members and she wishes that she would have some kind of a mentor who could help her. We will get into that. Cho begins by writing and submitting Stress and Thunder Tales to magazines and she earns some money from it. This is where we get our first German connection. Stress and Thunder, in German known as Sturm und Drang, was a movement in German literature and culture in the end of the 18th century, and Goethe, Louis's favorite writer, was a prominent figure in the movement. Quote, Her story was full of desperation and despair, as her limited acquaintance with those uncomfortable emotions enabled her to make it. One of the most famous Sturm und Drang stories is Goethe's Sorrows of Young Werther. I made an episode about it. It's called Laurie and Werther, romanticizing the path to self-destruction. Laurie's character arc, it partially comes from Werther. Werther is this handsome aristocratic man who falls for a peasant girl, Lottie. But Lottie is engaged to a respectable man called Albert. 
Goethe begins to use his heartache as a way of self-sabotage, and eventually that causes his life. In Little Woman, Larry threatens to take his life if Joe doesn't marry him. That, by the way, is not in the adaptations. So both characters are emotionally blackmailing this woman who they say they love. Throughout her life, Louisa struggled with her mood changes. People often dismiss Joe's anger as her just being a teenager or that she can be angry because she is a feminist. I am a feminist and I say that's bull. Especially because when Joe is angry, she often hurts people around her. In the book, when she has said something rude or mean, she regrets it. She has difficulties to, to control herself the impulses. There has been research made that Louisa May Alcott may have had bipolar disorder. I think that might have very well be true. When a person has a bipolar disorder, they quite literally can't always control their temper. Later in life, when she became very sick with mercury poisoning, that would make her mood changes even more severe. Sturm und Drang, st- stress and thunder movement, it was all about the emotional distress. If you ever read Sorrows of Young Werther, Werther's moods change very fast. Book is written entirely from Werther's perspective. You never really know what other characters like Lottie are thinking. For Louisa, who did experience this emotional distress, stress and thunder stories were a way to vent those emotions. In Literary Lessons, Jo begins to write her first novel. It is not Little Woman, it is a stress and thunder story. Jo's first book is a flop. When Jo writes it, she asks help from every single member of her family, and every one of them gives her a different advice, and Jo does everything what they are saying. Having copied her novel for the fourth time, read it to all her confidential friends, and submitted it with fear and trembling to three publishers, she at last disposed of it, on condition that she would cut it down one-third and omit all the parts which she actually admired. As crazy as it sounds, she took away the parts that she herself liked the most. Perhaps that is the reason why the book became a flop. It got mixed, mostly negative reviews and not that many sales. This is what Marmy says. It seems to me that Joe will profit more by making the trial than by waiting, said Miss March. Criticism is the best test of such work, for it will show her both unsuspected merits and faults and help her to do better next time. We are too partial, but the praise and blame of outsiders will prove useful even if she gets but little money. Yes, said Joe, knitting her brows. That's just it. I've been fussing over the thing so long, I really don't know whether it is good, bad or indifferent. It will be great to have cool, impartial persons take a look at it and tell me what they think of it. That is pretty clear foreshadowing for Friedrich's character. This is my problem with 2019, 2017 and 1994 Little Women adaptations. Here, Joe, who is actually a few years younger than the New York Joe, herself says that she appreciates criticism and wishes that she would have somebody to help her to refine herself as an author and encourage her to leave her comfort zone. This reminds me of the discussion I had with Emily on this podcast earlier, the episode called Joe Can Handle Feedback. Emily said that Joe was rather limited by the place she was living. This is very true. When she travels to New York, she opens herself to new ideas and experiences, both when it comes to her writing and people she meets. In New York, Joe begins to write stories to a sensational magazine called Weekly Volcano. Quote, Though very happy in the social atmosphere about her and very busy with the daily work that earned her bread and made it sweeter for the effort, Joe still found time for literary labors. The purpose which now took possession of her wasn't natural to a poor and ambitious girl, but the means she took to gain her end were not the best. When it comes to sensational publishing, Louisa condemns it right away. When Louisa was in her early 20s, she worked for a New York magazine called Frank Leslie's Weekly Illustrated Newspaper. Weekly Illustrated Newspaper was part of Yellow Press. If somebody doesn't know, sensationalism is editorial tactic. Where newspapers are being sold with biased or emotional impressions rather than objective journalism. This happens till today. 
For example, one person only watches news from Fox and the other person watches them from CNN. They get two very different views on world events. A lot of sensationalism today happens on social media, so it is a lot more difficult to control. I will read you a quote about this particular newspaper from Warren Franke's History of Journalism. The headline, quote, Startling exposure of the milk trade of New York and Brooklyn was followed by an apology of sorts. Frank Leslie's illustrated newspaper rationalized the reporting of the, quote, sickening details of the swill milk conspiracy, assuring readers. We are animated solely by desire to benefit our fellow citizens. In exposing the liquid poison that is decimating our population, bringing death into a thousand homes and demoralizing the general health of the city, even with death, decimation and demoralization, Further defense of a sensational subject and its sickening details seemed necessary. So the editorial leader declared, Ours has been no pleasing task. We should not have selected it for pastime or amusement. We would rather have shunned it as we would avoid a place infected by the plague. Then why sicken the readers? Couldn't the benefits of exposing frauds be achieved without all the details? Apparently not. Leslie's sense of duty was matched by a belief in the power of basic reporting techniques, the power of faithful and accurate illustrations from staff artists, voluminous data from detectives and nauseating diagnosis of medical doctors whose documents started the crusade. It was not a pretty business, penetrating into the loathsome pest houses. If the quote, sickening stench, was not enough, these journalists were maliciously drenched with the filthy liquid because the milkmaids at the distillery, milk barns, feared being, quote, truly depicted by the unerring pencil. Thus began weeks of sensational exposures, unusually extensive and sustained for 1858, at about the midway point in that first half century of institutionalized newspaper reporting. Leslie's Swill Milk reportage illustrates an ongoing problem. Certain subjects and certain details label them sensational, find their way into the popular print. Editors must confess that this news will startle, shock and dismay readers. Editors, however, will seldom admit that such news was intended to merely titillate, entertain or satisfy morbid curiosity. In fact, editors commonly profess that they would shun such unpleasantries if not for their grave duty to tell the truth no matter how horrible. How does an editor dissociate himself or herself from the information printed from those quote sickening details by portraying the techniques of reporting as something akin to runaway technology? Then reporters come as helpless as sorcerer's apprentice. If reporters are not gleeful gatherers of grisly lore, if not lip-smacking solicitors of the sordid and salacious, then what are they? Sometimes they are not reporters at all. They are both innocent tourists and jaded tour guides. At times they are detectives and sanitary inspectors, inmates or special commissioners. And when they are not overtly posing in their roles, reporters may pretend to be amoral technicians. The broom sweeps them, thus their reports are products of both their duties and their techniques. They may wash their hands of their sensationalism under such rubrics as seeing is believing or through that routine act of reportial dissociation. Don't blame me, attribution which transfers responsibility to documentary and interview sources, just as Leslie's distanced itself in the 1858 by warning the squeamish and the prudish not to read, and then claiming it is, however, a record of unimpeachable facts. Yet well into the 20th century, one schooler could look back at the rich narrative reportage, the muckrackers, and credit some of their success in the early 1900s, to the claim that, that they wrote freely, quote, in a time of oppressive literary gentility. Whatever degree of gentility might have inhibited the literary contemporaries of the muckrackers, many of their journalistic predecessors working for the 19th century publications were not so. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So oppressed. As you can see, Frank Leslie's newspaper, it was not a reliable source for news or very fact-based. Louis herself did not like Mr. Leslie. He was a newspaper mogul. He was a very wealthy man and he lived a very lavished lifestyle. Even when Louisa became rich, she was not somebody who bragged with her wealth. Louisa also took it to her agenda to encourage other wealthy people to help the poor. This happens a lot in her novels. For example, in Little Woman, Larry turns from somebody who took his wealth for granted to a philanthropist. And thanks to that, really goes to Amy. Being said that, there is a scene in the novel where Larry has bought a pair of fashionable gloves to himself and Joe makes fun of it and criticizes how he spends his money. Maybe Leslie's lifestyle was something that Louisa did not like, but more likely reason is the pressure that was put upon her to write things that she did not feel comfortable. Magazine mostly ran sensational stories of murderers, executions, prize fights, wars and assassinations. If you read Louisa's stories that she wrote during this time, these are not her themes. Neither are these stories horrible or immoral. It reminds me of a discussion I had with Emily, and Emily said that Louisa May Alcott herself is quite an elitist. You can see that in her writings, even from young age, she included moral teachings to her stories. Most of her themes are in fact women who have great deal of emotional distress. Goethean, Stress and Thunder Tales. But as you can hear from that paragraph, Mr. Leslie wanted everything to be more shocking, more disturbing, and preferably without no morals, because that is what sells. This becomes a big internal conflict within Joe, because she wants to make a living with her writing, but she is working for a magazine which main selling points are murders, executions, and scandals, and those are not the things that Joe wants to write about. Quote, Joe hardly knew her own MS, again so crumbled and underscored where its pages and paragraphs, but feeling as a tender parent might on being asked to cut off her baby's legs in order that it might fit into a new cradle. She looked at the marked passages and was surprised to find that all the moral reflections, which she had carefully put in as a ballast for much romance, had been stricken out. But sir, I thought every story should have some sort of a moral, so I took care to have few of my sinners repent. Mr. Dashwood's editorial gravity relaxed into a smile, for Cho had forgotten her friend, and spoken as only an author could. People want to be amused, not preached at. You know, morals don't sell nowadays, which was not quite a correct statement, by the way. Not only is Joe's story rejected because of the morals, Louisa, who is the narrator, also makes a point, quite cheekily, saying that the editor is wrong, morals do sell. Louisa's most well-known book, Little Woman, is based on characters' moral growth. In this chapter, narrator also points out that Joe, as a writer is dispensable, and that if she is not fit to be their writer, she is easily removed and replaced. She needs to write her stories so that they fit into the magazine's agenda. This does not work for Joe because Joe has actually very strong morals. But Mr. Dashwood rejected anything but thrilling tales, and as trees could not be produced except by harrowing up the souls of the readers, history and romance, and land and sea, science and art, police records and lunatic asylums, had to be ransacked 
for the purpose, Jo soon found that her innocent experience had given her but few glimpses of the tragic world which underlines society. She thought she was prospering finally, but unconsciously she was beginning to desecrate some of the womanliest attributes of a woman's character. She was living in a bad society, and imaginary though it was, its influence affected her, for she was feeding heart and fancy on a dangerous and unsubstantial food and was fast brushing the innocent bloom from her nature by a premature acquaintance with the darker side of life, which comes soon enough to all of us. I'm going to read you some quotes from Lorraine Tosiello's novel, Only Gossip Prospers. This book takes place in the time when Louisa was in her 50s and she was visiting New York for health treatments. This book is historical fiction. The crowd bustled as a curious entourage crossed the far end of the square. At the center of the maelstrom stood a debonair man with a beautiful woman in his arm. He seemed to be barking orders and suggestions to the men around him. Some peeled off on errands and others jotted notes as he spoke. From his bowler hat to his buttoned boots, the man executed charisma. He sported a broad plaid jacket, two fobbed watches and an unkept beard. There was a thrill of energy, of imperative motion about him. Louisa drew in her breath and turned her head sharply away from The woman in his arm was not young. She was glamorous, but seemed made of steel. She had a presence that declared she belonged in the turmoil, in fact, that she tried on it. At times, the man turned to ask her a question, then nodded at her reply and barked it to the lackey nearby. They approached closer to the bench where Louisa sat. Mr. Leslie, someone called out to him. Louisa drew in her breath and turned her head sharply away from the scene. Frank Leslie, and then the woman at his side must be Miriam Square Leslie, his wife. They were among the most notorious newspaper people in the land, not only for their often tortury reports, but for the scandalous way they conducted their lives. They had openly lived together along with her first husband and co-editor for ten years. The gossip was that Mrs. Square herself had finally set up her first husband in a scandal with prostitutes and then had it reported in Leslie's paper. She divorced him for the escapade, committed him to a madhouse and went to marry Frank Leslie. Frank Leslie was just as flamboyant and titillating as his publications, frequently evolved in the city's gossip. Two years before he had been indicted for obscenity, he published a rag called The Day's Doings, which concentrated on romantic license, wayward woman, and any other tantalizing bit of scandal he could dredge up. But it was the suggestive, lascivious personal advertisements in the back pages that got him into trouble. Louis had seen the columns of print devoted to treatments for venereal disease, nude books, mariage manuals with illustrations. Leslie had beaten obscenity charges over those advertisements and seemed to have come out of the scuffle with no repercussions on his own notoriety. But his wide assertions and variant prose could damn another's reputation. Frank Leslie did have a larger-than-life reputation. I guess we could call him as the Rupert Murdoch of 19th century. He was a real person. Mr. Dashwood in Little Woman is a character of him. It is ironic that somebody who exposed and created scandals for a living eventually got caught up into one themselves and didn't find a way out of it. Leslie's two sons owned parts of the company and they were in competition with one another. And when Leslie died, his widow started to fight over the company. It sounds a very complicated family drama. Lucy's love for Henry Terrell and especially their relationship with young Ladisa Spisniewski. It could have been a scandal if people had found out about it. That is why Louisa tried to censor all the notions about her love affairs from her journals. And following what happened to Frank Leslie, see him being destroyed by the gossip, seeing him destroying people because of gossip that he created that actually might have contributed to Louisa's decision to guard her reputation even more. People have made all kinds of theories why Louisa left Frank Leslie's newspaper. When I was reading Louisa's diaries, I came across something that also happens in Little Woman. The narrator points out that doing the research for these stories actually begin to cause Joe mental health problems. She comes across stories that make her feel disgusted and give her anxiety. And this is a diary marking from Louisa. November proof began to come. And the chapter seemed small, stupid, and no more my own print. 
I felt very much afraid that I'd ventured too much and should be sorry for it. But Emerson says, quote, that what is true for your own private heart is true for others. So I wrote from my own consciousness and observation and hope it may suit someone and at least do no harm. She says that after the proofread, the editor's notes, she cannot recognize her own story. And she also mentions that Emerson has encouraged her to write something that she feels to be true in her heart. And then Lucy says that she has done just that. I love finding this quote because that is almost word to word what happens in Little Woman. In Little Woman, Freddy encourages Joe to leave the magazine and write something that she's happy and comfortable with. Lucy herself, even when she was in her 20s, didn't put much value to her potboiler stories. Like Joe in the book, she called them trash. But I have read them. They are not terrible. Maybe because she doesn't have respect for the publication where the stories were appearing. She didn't put that much heart into them. Waldo Emerson was Louisa's next door neighbor and very influential figure in her life. Louisa called Emerson as her Goethe. This is a quote from Alcott schooler Susan Bailey. It is not a secret that Louisa had a girlhood crush on Emerson. And if Bear is based on him, then her affection for him was deep and authentic. Based on my research, Friedrich is a mixed character who is based on several men who Louisa loved and admired. When it comes to Friedrich being Joe's supporter and a mentor figure, when it comes to her writing, that we can trace to Johann Wolfgang Goethe and Walter Emerson. This is a quote from Megan Armcraft. Emerson was more than just a neighbor. For Louisa, he was her idol. When Anna Alcott married John Pratt, the Emerson family was present. Alcott, then 27, wrote in her journal that Mr. Emerson kissed her, Anna Alcott, and I thought that honor would make even matrimony endurable, for he is the god of my idolatry and has been for years. Emerson's kindness and friendship towards the Alcott family only deepened Alcott's love for him. She looked to him in everything and regarded his advice as, quote, the best inspiration of my life. When Emerson died, 49-year-old Alcott described him as, quote, the man who has helped me most by his life, his books, his society. I can never tell all he has been to me from the time I was a little girl. When Joe goes to meet Mr. Dashwood for the first time, she actually says that she has a friend who is willing to write these stories for his magazine. Joe is so ashamed of what she's doing, she doesn't even present herself as a writer to the editor. And she uses pseudonyms when writing her stories. Joe is really afraid that the family would find out. She gets really scared, especially when she thinks what mommy would think about her or what she would say. I think from that you can see how serious it is for Joe, because mommy is someone who Joe always wants to be honest with, and they could speak about anything. Before Joe has final breakup from the weekly volcano, there is a very important event before that, and that is the symposium. Joe and Friedrich attend a symposium together and Joe is really excited to go there. But after a while, she begins to see that these people who she has been admiring from distance are just regular people. Her reverence for genius received a severe shock that night and it took some time to recover that the great creatures were only man and woman after all. In New York, Joe begins to observe people more by their character than their wealth, looks or possession. I know lots of Little Woman fans whose favorite scene in the entire novel is the symposium. And the more I have read it, I think it is the time when Joe actually begins to fall in love with Friedrich. This is where the Christianity comes in. In the symposium, Joe sees one young man starting to speak about atheism and questioning the existence of God. You have to remember that Joe is very religious. Her father is literally a pastor. She is blown away by what's happening and the narrator mentions that her world turned upside down. She was quite shocked and upset and didn't know what to think. And then Friedrich started to speak for religion. He placed up with honest indignation and defended religion with all the eloquence of truth. An eloquence which made his broken English musical and his plain face beautiful. Somehow as he talked, the world got right again. To Joe, the old beliefs that had lasted so long seemed better than the new. God was not a blind force, and immortality was not a pretty fable, but a blessed fact. She felt as if she had solid ground under her feet again. And when Mr. Bear paused, out talked, but not one with convinced. Joe wanted to clap her hands and thank him. How can anyone not love Friedrich after that? This is also where Friedrich is no longer a German philosopher. 
he actually becomes an American philosopher because during this time period, there was a rising school of atheism going on in the circle of the German intellects. Friedrich, who is German, is in this case a lot more closer to Louisa May Alcott's transcendentalist worldview and philosophers like Thoreau and Emerson. Louisa was a highly spiritual person. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, Saver. Whether you're saving for that trip to the tropics or saving for an emergency, now is the time to take advantage of Wells Fargo's savings options. Wells Fargo offers savings accounts that can help you save towards your goals. So, what are you saving for? Visit a Wells Fargo branch or wellsfargo.com backslash save to open a savings account today. Wells Fargo Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Transcendentalism, it was a bit different compared to the mainstream Christianity of the time because the transcendentalists were somewhat pantheistic. They believed that nature was the ultimate manifestation of God, and they were also somewhat pacifistic and quite tolerant when it came to other religions. For example, Louis's father was accused of being Buddhist when Louis was a child. Louisa was somewhat a spiritual seeker through her life. When it came to romance and love, she saw that the spiritual connection between two people was as important as anything else. That was a big part of Louis's relationship with Henry Thoreau. This is a quote from blogger Skirmish Wit and Lit. I come back to Thoreau's work a lot when I'm feeling existential. He has such a lovely way of contextualizing complex thoughts about life in his poems. She was properly attracted to his existential musings, and the spark they shared likely came from the intellectual stimulation and being able to talk about life's big questions together. The symposium is 100% connected to Jo's development as a writer. It is all about her starting to put more thoughts on her characters and the messages that she wants to say in her works. The adaptations they show Jo and Friedrich arguing, which doesn't happen in the novel, but they have never adapted the symposium. What happens is that Friedrich sees a copy of Weekly Volcano and he expresses his dislike about sensationalism. Jo is a bit upset, but she is not upset with Friedrich. She is upset with herself. Ever since she started to write those potboiler stories, she has had this inner battle about it. She doesn't particularly enjoy the process. The publisher keeps erasing the parts that she likes, and the payment is not that great. Friedrich compares reading sensationalism almost has the same effect as if he would give gunpowder for his nephews. If we take a look at this bit deeper, a couple of years back, maybe you remember, there was a lot of talk about the way giant social media companies had spread false information online before elections in different parts of the world, and also give platforms for hate speech, and they only agreed to censor themselves when the advertisers said that they were going to leave the platform. That is exactly what happened on YouTube a couple of years ago. In the 19th century, that was the way the sensational press was working. Louisa May Alcott being a transcendentalist, abolitionist, and a promoter of gender equality would have had very serious moral questions what are the platforms that she was okay to work with. This is what Jo says to herself. They are trash, and soon be worse than trash if I go on, for each is more sensational than the last. I've gone blindly on hurting myself and other people for the sake of money. Joe stuffed the whole bundle into the stove, nearly setting the chimney afire with the blaze. Yes, that is the best place for such inflammable nonsense. I'd better burn the house down, I suppose, than let other people blow themselves up with my gunpowder. One of the listeners of this podcast said to me that the reason why this chapter is difficult to adapt is because it is really not a conversation between two people. It is mostly a dialogue that happens inside Joe's head. They have a really great point. It is easier to film a conflict between the two than an inner conflict. 
but the filmmakers never should show Joe and Frederick arguing because that's not in the book, and Joe 100% agrees with Frederick. And when you read the book, she actually has the same inner battle about sensationalism and being pressured by money-hungry editors going on at least two years before she even meets him. Basically, Friedrich is just saying aloud the things that Joe has been thinking quietly for a very long time. Goethe was Louis' third writer. She had both English and German editions of Goethe's novels, and she even asked her publisher to send her new Goethe editions when they appeared. Louis allowed Sturm und Drang, this ability to really go all in writing about characters that are constantly in emotional distress because of their turbulent emotions. What she did not love that much was these crimes and murders and scandalous elements that she had to sneak into her stories when she was working for Frank Leslie. For example, Louisa was an abolitionist, but the stories that sold were actually pro-slavery and promoting race stereotypes. There is an element of Sturm und Drang, Stress and Thunder Tales, that actually appear throughout Louisa's published work, and that is the psychology of obsession in relationships. You can see that even in Little Woman, in the way Laurie is pursuing Joe, despite the fact that she constantly says no to him, and Charlie pursuing Rose, etc. Another quote from Armknecht. Bear is trying to help Joe to become a genuine writer instead of one who caters to the whims of the crowd. This is something that Goethe would have done. He disliked superficiality in people and in art and was true life, frequently offended by the shallow pretensions, the false aims. He insists that a poem must be suggested by real life and having herein a firm foundation. So the Sturm und Drang story, it's not necessary by itself scandalous and sensational, because that depends how that story is written. These German Sturm und Drang stories, they are always about individual growth, but these Sturm und Drang stories that Louise was writing in her 20s, she was asked to erase all the morals, the characters never learned anything, and this would lead into somewhat one-dimensional storylines. That Alcott imposed a knowledge of certain literature on her protagonist, especially Joe, because she, as Joe's living counterpart, was herself acquainted with that same literature. Although still distinct from Alcott, Joe becomes an extension of her philosophies and ideas is shaped by Alcott's environment and upbringing. In 1933 and 1949 films, Friedrich gives Cho feedback on her writing and tells her that she can do better, and Cho never shouts at him. She appreciates the feedback. In the 1949 film, June Allison's Cho says, quote, If I can't stand the truth, I am not worth anything. Little woman fan Jimena tagged this, saying, Someone please shout this at 2019, Joe. This is how a major person handles criticism. In both series from 1970s, Joe and Friedrich argue almost entire time. In the 1978 adaptation, you kind of get the impression that these arguments make Joe a better writer because her articles begin to appear in New York Post and such. It is really difficult to watch because, first of all, Friedrich is not written to be an argumentative person, and second, Joe was always major enough to handle feedback. In the 1994 film, Friedrich and Joe argue once again. He criticizes sensationalism and then Joe snaps at him. And what I have read analyzes, Joe in this case represents 90s working girl. I love this adaptation for the most parts, but unless if people know the novel really well, they don't necessarily understand Joe's growth as a writer in this film because it is pretty subtle. After this argument, Friedrich apologizes and they go to the opera and kiss passionately. Then the next day, Joe has written some kind of pirate novel and Friedrich gives what I always received as a very decent and well put constructive criticism and Joe gets angry and travels back home, which doesn't make any sense. Then after Beth passes away, Winona writer's Joe writes her version of Little Woman and she is clearly thinking about Friedrich when she is writing it and she sends him the manuscript. I have heard a lot of people saying that the only thing they remember is Joe and Friedrich arguing and maybe them making out in the opera. Wouldn't it be better that the film would show Joe herself coming to the conclusion that she doesn't want to work for the magazine? 
I have problems with the 1994 adaptation, but not as many problems that I have with the 2019 film. In an interview for IndieWire magazine, Heidi Thomas, who wrote the script for the 2017 Little Woman series, said that she never understood why Louisa May Alcott married Jo to a German who disapproved her writings. And because of that, she made him to apologize Jo. 2017, 2019 and 1994 adaptations, they want to portray Jo as a victim of patriarchy who has the right to write these stories that Jo in the book actually calls trash. It sounds really silly when you hear that aloud. The last episode I made was all about the way the filmmakers romanticize Joe's and Laurie's relationship and they keep erasing Laurie's personality and the way he is sometimes really terrible to Joe and when Laurie proposes Joe, he says he doesn't want her to write anymore. People like Reda Gerwig and Heidi Thomas, they don't want you to like Friedrich. Greta Gerwig said that she is Joe March, that Joe March is her hero and that she hated that stuffy Professor Bear was giving her scratchy feedback. If Greta Gerwig is Joe, why she doesn't pay any attention to the way Joe feels about writing sensationalism? She was living in a bad society and imaginary though it was, it influenced affected her. There are filmmakers who just don't want you to like Friedrich, so they straight out lie to the public. If you think about the promotion of The Little Woman 2019, Greta Gerwig told to one group that Joe hates marriage and doesn't want to fall in love. In the chapter All Alone in the book, Joe says that she would like to know what romantic love feels like. So that's a straight out lie. Then she tells another group that Joe should be with Laurie and the third one that Joe should be gay. And her reasoning is that she doesn't think that Freddy is attractive and she doesn't like Germans. Greta Gerwig herself is married to a man who is 14 years older. And she herself is a descendant of German immigrants. So all her reasonings are pretty stupid. I've said this before, but the love interests in Louisa's novels are bearded older men because Louisa liked bearded older men. Louisa Mayalko, she actually criticizes the sensational aspect of the entertainment publishing. And Greta Gerwig's Little Woman, the way it was promoted by the director spreading inaccurate information about the events in the novel and the author's life, that was exactly the thing that Louisa was criticizing, and it actually continues throughout the novels. In Joe's voice, Joe's nephew Demi wants to become a journalist, and Joe is quite harshly against it. I spoke with somebody who said that they really hated the 2019 Friedrich, uh, the way he was mean to Joe and said that they didn't like her work. This person said that they adored Greta Gerwig and also they turned out to be a German lorry shipper. Now we are getting to the source of this problem. Do you see Laurie in this movie trying to prevent Joe from writing or him saying that he's going to kill himself if Joe doesn't marry him? That all happens in the novel. It is not in this movie. Joe and Friedrich don't argue in the novel, but that is in this movie. I've actually heard quite a few people saying that the feedback scene in the 2019 film made them feel very uncomfortable because Joe was basically attacking Friedrich without any reason. My friend Jimena, who read the book after seeing the film, was really surprised because there wasn't any kind of confrontation and she had expected Joe to hate Friedrich based on what Greta Gerwig had said. And then she was surprised that in the book Joe actually seemed to be crazy about him. If these filmmakers really care about Joe that much, why they portray her as this immature person who doesn't want to grow? And if they really are that big fans of the writer, why they keep lying about her? Greta Gerwig even said that we admire Joe because she doesn't want to grow. I for one never admire Joe for being a horrible person who shouts at people who are trying to help her. And I'm genuinely upset if that is how people see Joe as a character because of this film. Another listener of this podcast asked recently, is it even necessary to have this part about the sensational story in the adaptations? Because there are lots of scenes in the book between Joe and Fritz that have never been adapted. I don't think it even needs to be there, especially since it never even follows the story. Having Joe and Friedrich arguing when in the book he is helping her, that doesn't contribute anything to the story. And because the filmmakers do this, they automatically erase Joe's quote as a writer. Together with the 1949 film, the only movie where Joe actually is major when taking feedback is the modern-day setting Little Woman from 2018. In this version, Friedrich is a university professor of literature, which works in the context of this movie. Joe wants to take herself seriously as a writer, and same way as the book Joe, movie Joe appreciates the feedback she receives. 
Joe really has anger management problems, but they never argue about her writing. Together with the 1994 film, I think this movie also shows a lot of that intellectual connection that the two have in the novel. In the novel, after Joe has burned the sensational stories, she tries different types of stories. For a while she writes children's stories, then she writes stories that only has moralities in them. Nothing feels as her own, so she decides to keep a creative break. Quote, I don't know anything. I wait till I do before I try again, and meantime, sweep mud in the street. If I can't do better, that's honest anyway. Which decision proved that her second tumble down the beanstalk had done her some good. One thing that the transcendentalists did not approve was if a person lied to themselves. When Joe says that, if I can't do better, that is honest anyway, it shows that she needs to feel good about her writing to fully appreciate that. The book Joe is not an immature person who can't handle feedback like the film Joe. She takes her writing career seriously and wants genuinely to become a better writer. When all this happens, Friedrich gives Joe some literary advice. He encourages her to observe people around her, so she can write more well-rounded characters, and as a New Year's gift, he gives Joe a set of Shakespeare's novels. I found another connection between Friedrich and Emerson. For Louisa's 18th birthday, Waldo gave Louisa a copy of Goethe's Wilhelm Meister's apprenticeship, and he said to her that hopefully it helps to create interesting and meaningful characters. Next time when you hear someone complaining how Friedrich was terrible to Joe and stopped her from writing, you can freely quote that and prove how wrong they are. When Joe takes Friedrich's advice to study character, she actually begins to study Friedrich without him knowing, and she starts to fall in love with him. Quote, I don't know whether the study of Shakespeare helped her to read character or the natural instinct of a woman for what was honest, brave and strong, but while endowing her imaginary heroes with every perfection under the sun, Jo was discovering a live hero who interested her in spite of many human imperfections. Mr. Bear, in one of their conversations, had advised her to study simple, true and lovely characters whenever she found them, as good training for a writer. Jo took him at his word, for she coolly turned round and studied him, a proceeding which would have much surprised him had he known it, for the worthy professor was very humble in his own conceit. And then followed by my personal favorite quote from Little Woman. Why everybody liked him was what puzzled Joe at first. He was neither rich or great, young, not handsome. In no respect, what is called fascinating, imposing or brilliant, and yet he was attractive as a genial fire, and people seemed to gather about him as naturally as about a warm hat. He was poor, yet always appeared to be giving something away. A stranger, yet everyone was his friend, no longer young, but as happy-hearted as a boy, plain and odd, yet his face looked beautiful to many, and his oddities were freely forgiven for his sake. Joe often watched him, trying to discover the charm, and at last decided that it was benevolence, which worked the miracle. That is followed by a long paragraph where Joe thinks about his hands and how nice he looks in his homely ragged clothes. It's probably just Louisa writing about Henry. Again, when Joe leaves New York, she and Friedrich are friends. She doesn't go away because she thinks he doesn't like her writing, which happens in 1994 and 2019 films. In the chapters when Joe is in New York, you do get the sense that Friedrich has strong feelings for Joe. After Joe says that she must return home because Beth is ill, there's a scene where Friedrich is alone and he's thinking about Joe and he wonders what it would be like to be with her. There is some of that in the 1949 movie where you can see that Friedrich is quite lonely sometimes and he has longing for her and in the book Joe starts to fall for Friedrich as well. Quote, he helped her in many ways, proving himself a true friend and Joe was happy. For a while, her pen lay idle. She was learning beside German and laying foundation for the sensation story of her life. After Beth's death, Joe goes through a period of grief and then when she is in the attic, she finds a pile of letters that Friedrich has written to her. It is that reminder from him that Cho can be a great successful writer that sparks the interest for her to start writing again. Then she is surprised when the poem becomes successful and she doesn't know why. And Mommy says it is because it is genuine and she wrote it without trying to please everyone. You can see Joe's quote as a writer also in the novel, despite the fact that it is not yet the old woman that she is writing. 
Joe is married and she has a family when she eventually writes Little Woman. This happens sometimes between the sequels Little Man and Joe's Boys. I don't think the narrator, Louisa, even mentions the name of Joe's successful book, just that it is a story about her family. Louisa herself wasn't a huge fan of Little Woman, which kind of makes it silly when people complain that Joe in Little Woman doesn't write Little Woman. Little Woman, in a way, is a wish fulfillment. Louisa wanted to marry and have a family. She got sick after the war and never truly recovered. She was very lonely and then her most popular book was a story about the way she had wished her life to be more like. It is no wonder she had mixed feelings about it. In Joe's voice there is a quote where Joe says how lucky she is to have a husband like Frederick who is always supportive about her writing and career. Susan Bailey once wrote in her blog that if Louise had met a real life Frederick later in life, somebody who had accepted her flaws and support her career, she would have married them and be happy. This is a quote from Megan Arknet's essay, Joe Marys Goethe, Professor Bear as the Goethean ideal. Professor Bear and Joe March complement each other, bringing out the best in each other, similar to how Goethe's writings brought out the best in Algot's intellect. German influence on Alcott and her literary work helps prove that Alcott's books, Little Woman, Little Man, Old Fashioned Girl, and so on, they are collections of philosophies, ideas, and culture which can be used as important tools for understanding 19th century culture and values on both sides of the Atlantic. I hope this episode has given you more in-depth thoughts about both Joe and Frederick and Louisa as an author. I have become convinced that Louisa planned Joe to marry Frederick type character even before she began to write Little Woman. In her journals from the time when Louisa was in her early 20s, she actually has a draft of a story which is about her life. And this is like 10 years before she was asked by her publisher to write a book for girls. Louisa said that Little Woman would, quote, write itself. I think it's very possible that Louis had this idea of Joe and Frederick and Amy and Laurie way before Little Woman existed. And you can trace both of those love stories to books that Louisa liked to read. But more about them in the season 3 of Small Umbrella in the Rain. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make good choices. Bye! If you like mystery, suspense, and scary stories, then you need to check out my podcast, Old Time Radio Mystery, Suspense, and and horror. You'll find hundreds of remastered, enhanced quality mystery, suspense, and horror dramas from the golden age of radio. Check out my podcast, Old Time Radio, Mystery, Suspense, and Horror.